Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. This morning, I want to bring us a short word on discouragement. Discouragement. Uh, Last week, uh, when I preached from John chapter 21, uh, there was so much there, I mentioned a bit about discouragement, but I felt that it needed uh, a bigger bigger treatment. Amen. So, we'll begin from John 21 again. But before we start, I think that... um, in order to define what discouragement is, uh, I just remembered a story from when, when I was a student, uh, years ago, uh, uh, sit form, I think, and uh, one of the young men in my dormitory started making a very strong argument on why alcoholics will go to heaven. And he said, when you drink alcohol, you fall asleep. And when you sleep, you don't sin. And if you don't sin, you go to heaven. So it's good to be an alcoholic. <laughs> and it just hits me that he can make the same argument for laziness. <laughs> you know, that if you're a lazy person, you know, you sleep. When you sleep, you don't sin. And when when you don't sin, you go to heaven. Good argument. And I remember this because when it comes to discouragement, discouragement is not something you'll find among lazy people. Discouragement isn't about people doing nothing with their lives. Many times when the topic of discouragement comes up, it's about people like Peter, hard-working citizens, people who are passionate about their missions and their assignment. And then a time comes in their life when everything stalls, when lifting the little finger to do anything is harder, harder than moving a mountain. These are the people a sermon on discouragement is generally for. Amen. If somebody is lazy and not doing much with their lives, they probably need deliverance, not a sermon on discouragement. So, there are three things I want to point out that are very, very obvious. Maybe not so obvious, but you would normally find in situations of discouragement. The first thing about discouragement is that it is contagious. It is highly infectious. So, in John chapter 21, Peter, having betrayed, after having betrayed his master and savior Jesus Christ, even though he had been forewarned, he had denied him three times, and at this moment, his master had been arrested, tried, Uh, tortured, crucified and he had died. He saw they all saw him being speared on the side, blood and water oozing out. He breathing his last and screaming the famous words, it is finished. And it was over. But processing that trauma you know, from being in the garden with him 
I mean, he had been warning them for a while. But it's one thing for your mother to tell you parenting is not easy. You know, you hear it. And then you become a parent. <laughs> Realize, oh, okay. Yeah, it's actually not easy. You know? A lot of young women tend to fall in love and respect their mothers after they themselves have become mothers because they realize, hey, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. So it's one thing for Jesus to have forewarned them, but it's a whole other ball game to go through that experience. Marcus and his master and the other soldiers and all that coming to attack them. He, Peter, pulling out his sword, cutting off somebody's ear, Jesus stitching it back. Jesus saying, I am he, and they've been slain under the power. So they could see the power of God at work, and yet the vulnerability of their master as man, because he was very God of very God, and very man of very man. And then he saw his Savior being crucified naked. I like how we always give him a little cloth around his waist when we, when we paint him. But he hung stark naked on that cross. The disciples were traumatized. So in 21 of John, the Gospel of St. John, Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know to do. And all the other disciples with him said, okay, we're also going fishing with you. Peter was sinking, but he wasn't sinking alone. He wasn't sinking alone. And for those of you in leadership, when you lead a team, and your team lead is struggling, and you can tell they're struggling with targets, they're probably having issues at home and all that, don't think they will sink alone. If they're a good team lead, when they sink, many others can sink with them. So it's something to note. It's one of the, the wisdoms you can glean from John chapter 21. Discouraged people need encouragement, not criticism. That's point number two. When Jesus shows up in John 21, forgive me for not reading the scripture, but you can refer to it later on. He didn't tell Peter, you, I told you. I told you the devil has sought to sift you like wheat and have prayed for you. But you, did you pray for yourself? Did you even pray for yourself? I told you so. That's not what, that wasn't Jesus' attitude. He made breakfast for them. Jesus could cook. He made breakfast. He made charcoal grilled fish and added some bread. Typical bachelor menu. <laughs> no veggies. <laughs> you know, but he made breakfast for them. He made sure they had eaten. And he reminded Peter of his purpose. He says, Peter, do you love me? feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? It wasn't about the failures of the few yesterdays ago. It wasn't about how Peter disappointed him. It was about Peter, do you still love me? As long as there is love, there is hope. Amen. I don't know what your marriage may be going through, but if you can still feel a little love, just a little love, there is still hope. Amen. So Jesus encouraged Peter. He didn't criticize him. When somebody is discouraged, that is not an opportunity for you to flaunt your strength. 
It is an opportunity to come beside a person and support them up. Amen. The other thing about discouraged people is that they may be facing forward, but their heart is looking backwards. Peter used to be a fisherman, but at this moment in time, he was no longer a fisherman. He was an apostle. He was a man Jesus had personally trained and equipped and told upon this rock surface I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But like most people when you are discouraged you go back to what you know to do best. What comes easy for you. But Jesus has a sense of humor because he waits for them to go fishing and then he reminded them that fishing also wasn't as easy as you remember it. You know how we like to play the good old days. So he waited for them to toil all night and catch nothing. <laughs> and says, you know, we have fantasies. Oh, when I used to work in, uh, when I used to live in, if it was that great, why did you leave? We are very, very selective with how we remember. But the fundamental point is when we are discouraged, our heart tends to look backwards. The Israelites, people who were slaves for 430 years in Egypt, were like, oh, when we were in Egypt, we were eating pomegranates and cucumbers. And then you taste a pomegranate. I think we have some in our house. And, and, kick, and like, what is special about this? Oh, good. When I was dating Mr. Yawson, oh, Mr. Yawson was such a fun. Why didn't you marry him? And he came to marry Kojo Blankson. You know, but in moments when we are discouraged, we have a way of painting amazing pictures about our upbringing and the environments we grew up in and how the streets of Egypt were much, much, much nicer than where we are now. When you have anybody in your life who spends a lot of time doing the good old days, all they need is some encouragement. Amen. Amen. Jesus had to reset Peter. You know, Peter is about feeding my sheep. It's about being a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. There are few quotes, not scriptural, but quotes I've heard on discouragement that have always stayed with me. The first one is from Corrie ten Boom. I mean, most of you know I like quoting Corrie ten Boom because she endured what many of us won't survive. She was a, one of the... She, during the Holocaust, she was imprisoned because her family helped some Jews. They are what we call the righteous among the nations. You, know, you can Google that. Her family is one of them. A few years ago, I was in Den Haag. Uh, was it in Den Haag? No, not in Den Haag. In uh, Harlem, in the Netherlands, where she grew up, where their home is. And I was walking with a bunch of Dutch people, and I saw her plaque and her memorial, and none of them knew who she was. And I was surprised, you know. But years ago, she went to visit Ora Roberts University and met a, a young man ran towards her. His name is his name is Miles Monroe. And he said, you know, what one thing can you tell me that I can hold on to for the rest of my life? 
if there's one advice you can give me, what will it be? And she, t- she looked at him and with her thick Dutch accent told him in English, remember in the darkness what God told you in the light. Amen. The darkness will always come. Moments of discouragement will always come. Always. Whether it's from a team lead who is threatened by your passion, you know, or an epidemic that comes out of nowhere. We don't know whether it's originated from a lab or from some bats in some cave in China. We don't know. But all of a sudden, all the projections you had for 2020 get thrown out of the window and then 2021 comes and then you wake up and you are in July, August and you're like, hey, what's going on? Discouragements will always come. Jesus had spoken to Peter in the light. He said, I'm changing your name from Simon, which means water, to Cephas or Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. Some say it's upon, it's upon the revelation of who Jesus is. Well, he, so he told it to Peter. He said, upon this rock, your name is rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter became the premier evangelist of the church in his time. But there were times when he was discouraged. Another quote is from the man who founded Ora Roberts University, Ora Roberts himself. Somebody asked him a similar question, and he said, Always hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. You know, if you have charismatic backgrounds, it's great to make all the great confessions. I shall not die, but live to declare the works of the Lord. I am above only and not beneath. A thousand will fall. Yeah, it's great. They are great. They are great confessions. But wisdom will tell you to also prepare for the worst. Save towards a rainy day. The person you trust the most can betray you. It's hard, but this is truth this is truth there's a beautiful song very very beautiful song that a lot of us sing in church that we love if I could sing like my wife I would have sung it for you somebody laughed at me I know who but it says as the deer pants for the waters so my soul longeth after thee as the deer panted for the waters, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone art my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. Amen. It's a beautiful psalm, but what does it mean? When we sing, you alone are my strength and my shield. What does it mean? How many of us have gone for to Kenya or Tanzania 
on one of those beautiful safaris. The picture from Psalm 42 is a safari picture. It's somewhere in the Sahel somewhere. And the deer is thirsty. If you want to go on a safari, don't go in the rainy season. It is very hard to see animals in the rainy season because there are puddles of water everywhere. But when the dry season starts setting in, all the small water bodies dry. First, the puddles and then the ponds. And then at some point, maybe you have just a bit in, in some of the lakes. And then when you are a deer, you know that the crocodiles know that you'll be thirsty. So they stay in the water, bury their bodies in the water, and leave their snouts to make you think it's a crab. It's a crocodile. You know that the lions know you'll be thirsty. So instead of coming to chase you in the bush, they won't waste their energy. They hang by the banks of whatever little water is left. You know that the leopards know that you'll be thirsty. So they find the trees around and they hide in the branches waiting for you. And as a thirsty deer, you find yourself in this state where you know, if I don't get water, I will die from thirst. But if I try getting water, I might die. Only that in this psalm, the water he thirsts for is God himself. Amen. He thirsts for God. But it's a very, very desperate picture. An extremely discouraging situation. Should I hide in the bushes and die from thirst? Or should I make a dash for the riverbank and hope I can quench my thirst? So when the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 42, this is the first psalm of the second chapter of the Psalms. So the Psalms is actually divided into five sections. This is the first Psalm in section two. And it's by the sons of Korah. A family that suffered great humiliation because their ancestor Korah with his gang <laughs> were swallowed when they confronted, when they challenged Moses' authenticity to his calling. God made the earth open up and swallow them. But God in his mercy preserved some of his children. This was a priestly family. Korah was a priest. They were a priestly family. They carried ornaments, sacred ornaments that nobody else was allowed to touch. Even they themselves couldn't touch it with their bare hands. Sacred. And for many, many years they had to deal with that negative story, with the stigma of the ancestor's failure. God in his mercy in the seventh generation gave a prophet, probably the first, most respectable, most honorable, most respected prophet in Israel's history, the prophet Samuel. He's seven generations from Korah. He's from the same family. It shows you the redemptive grace of God. 
but years down the line, during the time, the reign of King David, some of them, these Kohatites, as they are called, found themselves again in the service of God. And they wrote this song. And it says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking, as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshippers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I'll praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Amen. Amen. It's such a powerful song because sometimes when you're discouraged, you feel as though nobody can understand, nobody can relate. In fact, the more successful a person is, the bigger their discouragements tend to be. So sometimes they can stand on the stage where they are receiving a prize and everybody is applauding them. And everybody is cheering them on. Bravo! Well done! Kudos! And deep down, they feel so low. So low. So low. Nobody would believe them if they were to tell them. If you ever feel discouraged, please know that the Bible says it is a common human experience. But even more importantly, like the sons of Korah, turn to God. Amen. What is beautiful about this psalm is that they were very, very, they knew who, what their purpose was. They felt so far away from God. And they described the discouragement like a torrent, like being caught in a wave. Those of you who love to swim in the sea, you know when the wave is coming, you either go above it or you go under it. But sometimes you miscalculate. And then you, be, you get caught in the middle of the wave. And it rolls you like a doll. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You can't fight the wave. 
it rolls you like a dog. And when it's done with you, it leaves you <laughs> wherever it wants. And he's saying that, that is how I felt. I felt like I'm caught in wave after wave after wave after wave. And I'm discouraged. But I'll fix my focus on God. Amen. God is the origin of our purpose all the time. He's the only one who can say, before in your mother's womb I knew you. Before you were born, I had ordained you unto a purpose. He's the only one who can say, I know the thoughts I have towards you. They are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's the only one who can say that. If anybody knows you, he does. John Wesley will tell you, God is closer to you than you are to yourself. He knows you intimately, deeply. So if you ever feel misunderstood, if you ever feel unappreciated, if you ever feel you're burnt out, if you feel like Peter, you've toiled all night and caught nothing. You followed Jesus for three years and now you feel lost. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. But even more importantly, this is the beauty of the gospel. Amen. This is the beauty of the gospel. You notice in this psalm, this is an Old Testament psalm. It is somebody who says, I know I'm discouraged, but I won't look to man, I will look to God. And yet, in John chapter 21, it wasn't man looking to God. It was Jesus looking for man. Hallelujah. Amen. It was Jesus looking for man. Hallelujah. That's the beautiful thing. He says, before you call, I will answer you. Amen. Never doubt his posture towards you. Never doubt his heart or his intent. Amen. He says, before you call, I will answer you. Amen. He says, no trial, no temptation has overtaken you. But such as is common to man. And remember, I am faithful. So for every temptation, for every trial, I provide a way of escape. Amen. He says, I'm with you. Always. Always. It doesn't, it's not about feelings. You can feel low. You can feel lonely says yes that's your feeling but the truth is superior to your feeling and the truth is I am with you all the time through all the seasons of life he says I will neither leave you nor forsake you amen he didn't say I will leave you under certain circumstances I will leave you if you befriend this person if you don't pay your tithe or offering it's great to pay them but he never said I will abandon you if you don't he says, I'm with you always. Always. This is Jesus. And this morning, I want us to pray. Amen. I want, I want us to bow down our heads. Some of us are bereaved. Some of us are mourning. Some of us have re received diagnoses that, that, that are scary. Some of us don't know when the next paycheck is coming. Some of us don't know whether our marriage will survive this storm also. The good thing is we have a God who really cares. And we are right here in his presence this evening. I want you to lift up your voice and thank him for his grace. Thank him for his love. Thank him for how much he cares about you. Amen. Let's pray and thank him for his faithfulness. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness this blessed morning. We thank you that you love us so much. You died for us. Your word says, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure for a good man some may. 
But God commended his love towards us in this wise. That whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for initiating this relationship. We thank you for your love and for your goodness. And Father, we come against every spirit of discouragement, Lord. Anybody who, who, who has thrown their arms up in despair, who feels exhausted, who feels burnt out, who has no strength to fight again. Father, we thank you that your strength is perfect when our strength is gone. This morning, we lift everybody who is brokenhearted, everybody who is discouraged before you. We pray that may the angel of the Lord who strengthened Christ in his moment of affliction, strengthen your children right now in Jesus' name. We command every spirit of discouragement to lose your hold in Jesus' name. We command you to lift and be gone in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the refreshment only you can give. We thank you that you are the water that never runs dry. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, this morning we pray for a spirit of joy, Lord. We pray for fresh hope. Oh, reset us, Lord. Reset us in Jesus' name. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way in the midst of your children this morning. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Father, surround us with people who will encourage us. Bring Barnabas our way in Jesus' name. We come against every voice that discourages. We come against every negative voice in our ears and in our lives. We silence them by the power power of the living God. Oh, Father, like the sons of Korah, may we focus on your word in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Every marriage that is stressed, every relationship that is stressed, every, every job situation, every work environment that is stressful and overly burdensome, Father, we pray for strength for your children. We pray for healing and for grace in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church, visit our website, www.accrachurch.org. God bless you.